0: Welcome to Archery In Depth, everybody. Hey, this is the season one finale, and I think we got a really good one to cap off the first season of Archery In Depth. This episode is gonna be all about Elite Archery, and we got Nathan Brooks from Elite Archery talking to us about all of the great stuff that's happening with Elite. If you haven't been paying attention or you haven't been looking at Elite's line over the last couple of years, you're gonna see some huge changes. The reason I wanted to do this episode and to talk to Nathan in particular is about all the new advancements that Elite has made over these last few years. The SET or SET technology they have is pretty incredible. We are going to go massively in depth. We talked for over an hour about this SET technology, how it works and why it makes tuning a bow so easy. When you're looking to tune broadheads or even bear shaft field points, all of that, whether you look into paper tear, bear shaft tune, what have you, broadhead tune, the SET technology allows you to do that. No bow press, no nothing, one simple Allen wrench and you can adjust your bow to be perfection. It's pretty amazing, it's unique. There's no other bow company doing it the way they're doing it. So we get into depth to show exactly how it works, how you do it and you know why you should be taking advantage of it. We then talk about some of the other stuff that Elite's doing. We're talking about this new riser, riser design that they've implemented. A little bit longer riser, a little bit more. Uh, Parallel limb design. We go into a lot of in depth discussion about their new lines of bows that they're implementing that with. Last but certainly not least is another exciting advancement that Elite has made in this last year, 2022, and that is the new Verdict Bow, which is a target bow, but we start talking about how they're going to implement this in all of their bows. What is it? Well, it's micro adjustable let off. That's right. So instead of being stuck with the positions in a mod or something else that has you know, exactly 75%, 80, whatever, whatever the let off is for what the manufacturer is sort of forcing upon you, you now get to decide what your let off is and it is micro adjustable. So like a single pound adjustment all the way through the gamut. It's pretty interesting stuff. It lets you really super tune a bow so that it fits you and your particularly shooting style exactly. We get into it. It's a great last episode. I hope you're getting ready for hunting season. I hope you want to listen to it. Check it all out. Hey, if you like archery in depth and you want to hear some more stuff, some new episodes, all that other stuff, drop us a line on Instagram or Facebook. We're on all those socials. Give us a give us a shout out. Say hey, I want to talk about this or listen about that and whatever. Maybe we'll make it happen next season. I'm your host Marty Judnick. We're going to talk to Nathan Brooks from Elite. Here we go. Let's go. All right, we're here with Nathan Brooks from Elite. Nathan, what's happening, man? Good morning.
1: Good morning. Yeah. Uh, just waking up here in the old central time zone and uh, you know, you're earlier than I am. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess the, the, the coffee pot's on, right?
0: Better believe it. The coffee pot's on. I'm just pretending we're up early to get hunting for, for hunting season. Uh, just pretending that I'm going to get my body in, uh, you know, a way that it's going to want to wake up this early, which I know it's not going to, but I could just pretend it's good. It's good.
1: But <laughs> right. I I I hear the excitement level. You know, I mean, it's like you're you're saying, okay, man, this morning I got to get up and I I do this podcast with with Nathan, and that's supposed to be close to hunting, uh, and it's really not.
0: <laughs> Actually, it is. I'm really looking forward to this podcast because the new line of bows from Elite are great. I I love them a lot. I'm really interested in hearing more about the background of the technology. I was really excited to get up for this actually, so yeah, I, uh, I love it. And speaking of, it's because Elite's introducing a lot of really interesting things on their bows these days. And so before we sort of get into the specific bows and all that stuff, some of the technology that's in all the Elites, I'd love to talk about, learn more about, because it's super interesting, number one, and number two, I think a lot of hunters don't understand how amazing it is and easy it is to help tune not just arrows but broadheads uh the ability and the set system makes tuning broadheads probably the easiest you possibly can for any bow i think
1: yeah i i would agree um you know you look at all the other brands that are out there and there's a lot of good bows Mm -hmm. um you know i'll be the first to say i'm every year when the new stuff comes out from every manufacturer, honestly, I'm really just kind of uh, foaming at the bits, actually, just to, just to go see all the new stuff, to see what kind of technology, see what people have been thinking about. And that, that's what I really enjoy is, is to see the, the ideas that come to fruition. Um, and, you know, a lot of times you just see stuff uh, maybe polished, or refined a little bit and and, you know it's kind of a i i I call it the disappointment on my end just because i see the lack of of uh new technology or something new that comes to the table that's beneficial for hunters and target archers across the board but Mm -hmm. um you know we're talking broadheads uh you know really set technology started um, with, with an issue that I was having with my wife's bow. Mm-hmm. So we were struggling to get her, her bow to tune because as you're probably aware, um, when you take a, a light poundage bow and you put a solid limb system on it, like the elite had on it, uh, historically up until the what 2000 or eight eighteen seventeen 18, 17, something like that on all the hunting models, um, so, when you when you take a solid limb system like she was shooting, she was shooting the spirit, and we were getting. She's left-handed, and she was getting these right tears. And I needed to space her cam um, further to the to the right to get a little bit more cam lean.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when there's no more load pressure than what there is on such a lightweight poundage bow, I could space her cam. 60 thousandths on the axle and it wasn't really changing any of the lean on the cam at all i mean it was but not very much it just mm-hmm. wasn't significant where you take that on 70 pound bow and move it 60 thousandths you'll have a tremendous change in the, in the amount of lean because the load pressure is so much greater and so um you know i was just playing around with things thinking i gotta get this cam to lean more and the only way i know to do it is to do it at the limb pocket um, because I've I've extended the amount of adjustment that I have between these limb tips, you know, to move that cam over, and it's only going to allow me to to lean it so far. So if I pull the rocker out of this bow that sits between the limb and the in the pocket, and I angle that, then that's that has to and that has to make that cam lean mm-hmm. um so so that's what i did I, I pulled the pocket out and i hit it and i, I cut off about five thousandths because i you know pulled out my mic and my caliper and you know i'm checking it i mic'd it out and, and realized that i moved it about five thousandths on that put it back in the bow and i got a significant change and so i thought hmm, well let's Let's try 10,000. Let's see what happens <laughs> there. So I, I built one at 10, then I built one at 15, and uh, just started measuring the differences in what I was actually getting out of it and the amount of cameline that it was inducing to her bow. Um, you know, I tried to measure the cameline from about 10 inches from the axle. So basically, straight down the string, 10 inches, that was kind of my mark um, to to see how much lean it was inducing on the cam, you know, how much was it changing at 10 inches, you know, that straight line effect from the cam. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I got her bow to tune just super fast and I thought, man, that, that worked really slick. So my first thoughts was, well, how do I, how do we build this into the, into a bow where we can, we can make this marketable because I mean, obviously that works. Um, and then started thinking about the other effects. Okay. So how's that going to change alignment? Um, what is that doing to the string thrust? What's that doing? You know, just every, every potential issue that could come into, uh, scope with the changes that this actually puts on the bow. And so, uh, you know, when I've, start banging my head against the wall uh, or get to a point where either I've figured something out and then I need some validity on the subject well Josh Sidebottom at the um, Elite is the uh, is the guy I call so you know he's a head engineer over there and uh, obviously he does more than just that I mean he's a, a COO and uh, but he is an engineer and a and a, gr- a really good archer and bow hunter and so he understands you know, what the implications are for something like this. And so I call him and said, hey, man, here's what I'm finding. Look at these uh, – look at what this is doing. He said, tell you what, he said, try it on your bow. See if you get the same same numbers. See how that changes with yours. And then we'll talk again in a a little while. Like, awesome. So here's a good project. And uh, just kind of dove in from there and started, you know, using the rockers as uh, the adjustment system to see how this would affect these bows. And, and honestly it got to the point where I didn't shim the cam anymore. I just started playing with the rockers Mm -hmm. and I I liked what I was seeing. And I was just using that same thing on my target bows in 2018. Um, Had a great year in 2018 and 2019 uh, with the victory X was the bow I was shooting. And, you know, when we started playing with that, I mean, obviously, as a target shooter, I know what uh, tuning is all about. Or at least I like to think I know what tuning is all about. <laughs> whether I actually understand it or not, sometimes it, I'm scratching my head. But most of the time, I, I I can understand what's going on when it comes to tuning and trying to... In, in all honesty, that's, that's more of my... um it's almost more my passion behind shooting than it is competition. I, I, I like competition. I enjoy it. I, I love to compete. Uh, but I enjoy as much as anything about one of the things I enjoy about archery is, is solving the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that's just because my head kind of works that way uh, when it comes to archery. And, and that's what I've always done ever since I was very young. Um, I got to say that one of the best things that my dad ever did for me, uh, which was tons of things, but one of the best things he ever did for me in archery was uh, he really allowed me to just tinker and play. And so when I was 13 years old, I had a bow press and, you know, heck i I really worked a lot on bows, just trying to, Uh, trying to figure out how they worked and what I could do to make it shoot better for me. And, uh, so definitely started in, in archery with bow hunting and then competition because dad said I needed to be able to hit something before I went bow hunting. Right. And then, so kind of got, you know, all those things just kind of went together and then to, uh, you know, to, to have been in archery almost my entire life. Well, I'm trying to think I've never earned a dollar that wasn't, um, you know, as far as my job goes in my life, I've never had a job outside of some high school stuff that didn't pertain to archery at some point. Nice. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, I, I worked, uh, I managed an archery shop for six years, uh, right out of high school. And then I was, I was shooting competitively. And the reason why I didn't go to school beyond high school was because I was chasing that competitive shooting dream, basically. And it was just too hard to do both. Mm-hmm. And then I went to work for Morrell Targets in 2000, fall of 2003. They're just five minutes from my house. And uh, I've always been affiliated or done something with the Morrell clan. Um, and so worked there a couple of years in sales and marketing and then uh, opened my own string business in uh, 2006. And I did that all the way through 2015 is when I shut my business down and then just went full-time professional shooter from that point on. And and, uh, in fall of 2016, I hired on with Elite to do – well, to be a shooter and also as a consultant. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was really um, almost like a dream come true. Uh, I'm technically not an engineer by no means um, and not even any stretch of the imagination, uh, but at the same time, engineers have to have an idea. And so, and so that's uh, basically where I was coming from is, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I'm the the think tank, but I like to be able to, solve problems and if i can solve problems uh, by creating a new way to uh, to make a mousetrap basically or you know what's the newest latest greatest mousetrap and that's kind of kind of what this is all about you know so said technology was born right here but um it was developed in vegas uh with josh he and i had been talking about all these things and so he liked what he was seeing and what he was hearing out of out of my um uh, testing and so we was at vegas uh shooting a tournament there i forget what year that was maybe 20 either 2018 or 19 (laughs) my memory's so bad but (laughs) but he said uh he said let's uh let's sit down and let's do a little design and i'm like sweet so he pulls out his laptop and dude i mean it, it was like watching an artist you ever watch old bob ross uh paint right and you're just watching this thing come together. And it's like, man, how's he doing that? That looks so cool. And he, he starts with this big blob and then it just goes to something else. And the next thing you know, he's got this beautiful scenery. That was kind of like watching Josh um, design on um, his laptop. It was so cool just sitting there watching him put it all together. And, and honestly, we had it designed in 30 minutes. Wow. And wow. Uh, I, I guess kind of like a, you know, a good song that, uh, an artist might put together. Sometimes it just flows really easy and boom, there it is. I don't know how much, you know, I've never really asked him this question. I don't know how much time he put into the thought process behind, um, you know, the idea that he had already, you know, if it was just something that, that he thought of just then and there, or is that something he'd already been playing with? Honestly, I don't know the answer to that question, but he, threw it together and I was looking at it, of course, I was following everything he was doing. And then, so the only thing that I basically added to the, to the equation was we need to have a good solid lock down there. And, um, you know, he figured out how to put it all together and, and then, you know, we go straight, uh, to the development stage of that. And when he put it in the bows and started, uh, testing, I mean, he was just thrilled and we were going to put this in a target bowl. That was, that was where this was going. It sure. wasn't going to a hunting bow, mm-hmm. but we also realized too, that when you take a a bear shaft arrow out of your hunting bow and you get a bear shaft in a field point to hit the same spot at 20 and 25 and 30 yards, you can screw just almost any broadhead on there and it'll fly like a dart as long as you got enough veins yep. And so that was, that was what we were doing with that target bow. And we put it all together. It's like, man, this is amazing. And we had developed, it, had it in the target bow line ready to launch with the result. But what we saw from that, Josh was just like, I had it. I had a hunting bow already designed for 2020, but I'm totally changing gears because this works so good. We've got to get this in our hunting bows. And it was just a super fast, um shift because like i said he had already specced out a new hunting bow it was ready to go for 2020 it didn't have set technology on it um but when but when that happened and when he saw what it was doing he was like man we've got to put that in there so he shifted gears and and got us a hunting bow there in 2020 which was the cure and so from that point on i mean set technology has been out there it's just been the issue of getting people to understand how it works, how simple it actually is. Um, and then beyond that, actually just, it's not just the people. I I think consumers actually understand it as good, if not better than a lot of the dealers do, because a lot of the dealers, um, you know, they're hesitant to try stuff. Mm -hmm. And if they're not an elite dealer right now, uh, it's because they don't want to be an elite dealer because there's absolutely zero reasons for a dealer not to be selling the Uh, just for the simple fact that, you know, all of our bows have pretty much seven inches of draw length adjustment on them with one module. Mm-hmm. So you don't even need a bow press to change it. So that makes it super, super easy, uh, to adjust. And then on top of that, uh, with set technology in the bow, I mean, For instance, I had a guy, I was in Kansas City at Rogers Sporting Goods uh, last weekend at their big annual whitetail and archery uh, event, and uh, a guy come in, we got him all set up. When we finally decided on which bow he wanted, it took me 40 minutes to get all of his equipment on, set it up, have him hit in the same spot, build points and broadheads, tuned up 20 yards, which as far as we could shoot, 40 minutes, start to finish. Yeah. And, you know, that's just, that's really, un- in a, I mean, that's not heard of uh, in the archery shops, yeah. you know, to put a bow together that fast and get everything done. And I'm not saying I'm like super fast at it. I just mean that it's so simple to do. And I bet you did um, it all it, without a bow press. And the only thing I needed to press for was putting the peep side in, and getting ah, the peep yeah. side the right, right adjustment. Mm-hmm. And then once we got that right, I mean, it was, Like I said, I probably spent more time doing that than I did anything.
0: Mm -hmm. So we better back up. We better back up because this is something that could be over some people's heads. Um, those people that are used to it, it's, it goes without saying what we're talking about, but I think there's a fair amount of maybe newer people to archery or bow hunting that may not completely understand what we're talking about here. So let's step back just a bit and talk about tuning in general. So as you, you know, Anybody on the internet that spent any time in archery knows that there's there's difficulty with some folks making their field points hit where their broadheads are hitting, right? But that's a tuning issue. That just means you can tune that out. It doesn't mean that it's the broadhead's fault. It's whatever's fault. It just means you haven't tuned your arrow to your bow, right? And so there's a mechanism by which in the elites in this SET system that you can tune your bow to move the arrow and the impact of that arrow. So what, so your field tips are hitting where your broadheads are hitting, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, talking about the broadhead, uh, you're, you're spot on there. Um, because for so many years, what I've seen and what I've heard of bow hunters and some of it is legit, but the majority of it is just exactly what you said bow hunters will come into a shop and they'll say man i tried these x brand broadheads last Mm -hmm. year and they didn't hit anywhere close but man these other ones over here they hit just like my field point right and it really doesn't have that much to do with the broadhead as much as it is just with the tune now Mm -hmm. some broadheads are more aerodynamic um they're and, w- and when I want to say, when I'm talking about broadheads, uh, for some reason I've always got in my mind, a me- uh, not a mechanical, right. but a fixed blade broadhead. Yep. And that's just what I've always got in my mind is a fixed blade. However, that being said, I've seen some bows so bad out of tune that even mechanical doesn't hit anywhere close. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you have that as well. <clears throat> but, you know, you take an open blade blade, um, basically you're throwing a knife on the end of an arrow with a fixed blade broadhead, especially, uh, like a cut on contact, some of the longer, um, really uh, just medieval looking broadheads, you know, you throw those things on the front of an arrow and it wants to take over the control because it's, it's guiding Uh, it's the point of the arrow that's going through the wind first through the air first. Mm -hmm. And so in the past, you, number one, if you look at the evolution of what we have done over the years in archery, um, about everybody in the early nineties shot five inch feathers for hunting. Wow. And the reason why is because that's a big controlling device on the back of the arrow. And as, things started progressing i remember the first time i set up a, a customer there of ours in 1997 with a trophy taker fallaway away air arrest because dan evans was building that trophy taker back then and it was mm-hmm. just getting popular <clears throat> and i remember setting one up for a guy and i put three inch veins on there with a really hard uh, helical and i remember the guy saying man there's no way that'll shoot my broadhead good and i said man I, i'm telling you it will and, uh, he, you know, I remember him coming back and he was like, man, this is the best I've ever had anything shooting Said not, let alone, you know, the shortest, shortest fletching I've ever used, but this is just the best I've ever had anything shooting period. And so, you know, I remember that happening and that was kind of one of those. Aha moments for me, you know, where I started seeing what was going on and how it was, how it was happening and basically, understanding the, the the idea behind what's allowing this to happen. And, and it wasn't just how, how big the fletching was on the back. It was, um, number one, how much twist you could put on it at, at that point in time. And then also the tune of everything made, made all the difference in the world. And so, yeah, when you put that big old broadhead on the front of an arrow, it's not easy to control. So... Uh, you've got you've to have the bow tuned out to where when it launches that arrow, that it's launching it not only perfectly straight, but it's got to launch it um, perfectly straight and then have enough control on the back to still overtake whatever broadhead you have on the front. So if it's a little small broadhead, it doesn't take near as much fletching, Mm -hmm. but if it's a bigger broadhead, it takes bigger fletching. So
0: for sure. And like we were talking about, you know, there's, you should be able to tune any broadhead and any arrow, as long as it's reasonably spined to the bow to a bow, but like Nathan was talking about how you do that traditionally has been shim in the cam, which is kind of how the idea came and. Chimiga cam, for those that don't know, is you're you're moving that cam on its axle, left or right, traditionally. Or with the yoke system, you can twist the yokes and, and sort of lean it one way or the other. But when you're moving these cams, in contrast to where they are on the bow, that's how you achieve tune. Or you're detuning it, or you're just getting these arrows to hit in the same place. And it's just like trying to tune for a bear shaft, right? All you're doing is getting these arrows so that you're with the movement of the cam, it's now accommodating both so they shoot so similarly that they're hitting in the, in the right point. And I think what's really unique about Elite system, which is unlike every other, like Nathan's talking about, traditionally I'd say until this, the only way to tune the bow and to get that adjustment is you're moving those cams left and right with shims or various other systems. But the set is unique because you're not you're not really moving the cam on its axle. You're moving the limb pocket in front. So the very front ends of the limbs that attach to the riser, that's what you're actually moving, correct?
1: Right. And so, um, you know, it, traditionally, uh, as you were talking about moving a cam, shimming it from left to right, one of the things that uh, is still a misconception, I mean, I still have dealers. Um, so I, just a little uh Information there too. I'm actually a, a territory sales manager for Elite, so I I uh, cover Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, and West Tennessee. So Nashville West. So I have five and a half states that I that I uh, cover for territory, and it's amazing to me how many times I go into an archery shop and a guy tells me straightforward that. Um, He doesn't like cam lean on his bow. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I I understand what he means by that. He doesn't, he doesn't want to see that cam leaning at all. But the thing is, we're also, we're also different the way we shoot bows. Mm -hmm. We all have different body structures. We all um, have our own way of repeating. And that's really all archery is. You know, I get questions all the time about, Hey, does my form look right? Does this look right? Does that look right? And most of the time, if I'm talking to them personally, I'll pull up a picture of Matt Stutzman, the armless archer yeah. and show them his form where he's shooting his bow with his foot and how he has to do things. And I'll say, what does his form look like? You know, because that looks nothing like what their form looks like. And I'll say the, the idea is just to repeat. It's really not how your form looks because at the very top level of professional shooters i see an amazing array of different types of forms there's so many different ways to do it and we're also individualistic we just need to find what we can do that is easiest for us to repeat the same thing over and over so when you when you realize you're dealing with all kinds of different mechanisms that fire these bows you have to have some adjustment in the bow to make it fire the arrow perfectly straight. So you take a guy that that likes a lot of uh, side weight on his bow because maybe he puts a whole lot of twist into his grip Mm -hmm. because of the way his form is. He might actually require uh, with his bow a lot of lean on a cam to actually straighten it out when that arrow comes out of the bow. So what's actually happening the lean is at rest. But what, but what you're not seeing as a shooter is the dynamic function of, of those cams and the strings and everything as it's actually happening during the shot, you know, dynamically what is going on during the actual shot process. It's not so much what it looks like when it's at rest, Mm -hmm. but what's transpiring during that shot process. And so you go to high speed video and, typically, I mean, obviously we can't do that for just everybody out there, pull out a, you know, a high speed video camera and check it all out. But one of the things I've noticed is so at elite, um, we have some pretty, pretty well accomplished shooters, uh, that work there. And Tommy Gomez is one of them. And Tommy is a you know professional 3d shooter done extremely well over the years. And, uh, we call him right chair, Tommy. Uh, because everything he picks up, he shoots a right tear with it. Now, we can tune it out, but if I shoot a bullet hole with my bow, I'll hand him mine, and he'll shoot an inch right tear with it. That's just just how he does it. Mm -hmm. And rarely do we ever find anybody that shoots a more right tear than what Tommy does. So you've got Tommy up there that can pull a, a bow out, and if he can tune it and I can tune it, it's a very tunable system because we're so um, polar opposite when it comes to how we shoot. And so, so that's a really good gauge of, of how, uh, how much adjustment you need in a system for us when we're designing these bows to say, okay, how does, how does it work for Tommy? How does it work for me? And when we find something that's almost perfect for both of us, I'm telling you, we have something that's amazingly stable uh, because if, if it almost works for both of us, and I've never found anything that works for both of us perfectly, but if it's really close, then, I mean, it, it, it's really, really stable. And so yeah. talking about going to high-speed video, uh, it, it's really interesting to watch what's happening, happening directly behind an archer when he's shooting and you see the CAN system's cycle and they go up and the string start tracking in the cam and then you see what's happening at brace height once it finally gets there and it launches that arrow off that off that string it's so cool because then and pretty much only then do you realize what you're looking for Uh, and the majority of the time what it is it's that string is tracking perfectly up into that cam system for that archer when he's holding the bow at that at that brace height point but it's a dynamic reaction of the system and not a static reaction Mm -hmm. so um so that's why i go back to saying it's amazing to me how many shop owners will still tell me uh when i set up my bows and my tune these for these people i always make sure the cam is set perfectly straight and i'm thinking well then they're they're not set up for that individual because if you're not actually setting it for that individual, you're, you're setting the bow up in an initial static tune, right? But that's not really tuning it for that shooter.
0: Right. And you're making a great point here, which I think a lot of people overlook, which is, you know, somebody's buying a brand new bow and it's going to either come to them still just in the box and they're going to set it up. Or if they get their local bow dealer to do it, if they're not doing it themselves to sort of set it up. But I think, what people are missing is like you just said, that guy is going to do it his way and he's probably going to set it up with his arrow. That's not necessarily the shooters arrow, nor their setup, their length, their spine, whatever. He's going to set it up one way, but then that shooter's going to get it home. And I could probably guarantee that it will not be tuned perfectly for that shooter. Right? And so there's the opportunity to bring it home. And when you know what you're doing, this set technology allows you to tune that bow real quickly with one, one tool. One Allen wrench, right? Five thirty seconds. Yep, that's your new bow press. Yep. <laughs> and so, talk us through that because I, I have an elite. I do it. I. This is part of the reason I wanted to do the podcast because it is so unbelievably easy to tune. It's a whole world from any other bow. Not only do you not need a bow press to do what we're talking about and tuning it, it's a matter of seconds. It's a matter of seconds where other bows, you got to put them in a press. You got to pull, you know, top hats out or. Sp- Um, spacers out whatever you got to do a lot to do tuning to other bows whereas the elite you can do it in seconds no bow press and it's immediate and the the change is drastic you know even just a little movement if you can kind of walk us through the set procedure and what it's actually doing when you're moving that limb pocket that'd be great i think there's a lot of people that haven't physically done it and if you could kind of walk us through how it's done it's so simple but it does such a huge thing for you and it's so easy. If you would mind telling people kind of how it works.
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, I'll start with uh, what I would do. Basically I'll walk you through how, how I set up a bow, um, utilizing set at its, at its greatest value. And then, you know, when I actually engage with set. Mm-hmm. So basically what I do is I set my bow up right from the start. Um, get everything, uh, get my knock uh, my knock point, basically get it level. Uh, and, and this is a hunting bow I'm talking about. Uh, so I, I usually use a QAD air rest uh, that we <clears throat> that we have. Uh, that they make for us, for our, our bows. And so it locks up really nice. And I get everything level. I set my the center shot around 13, 16th. Now, I will say this. I'm not dead set at 13, 16th. Like, I'm not saying I'll never touch the air rest again, Mm -hmm. but that's typically where I start at 13-16. And so once I get everything set up, I go to the paper, and I'll shoot for a bullet hole. And if I get a little bit left or a little bit right, I like to – initially, I like to move my air rest just a little bit because I don't – at at that point in time, um, I'm taking for granted now that set is in the middle Mm -hmm. at this point. And so I like to be able to have a lot of adjustment there with set if I, if I can uh, before I actually start needing to use it. So uh, I'll, I'll play with my air rest just a little bit. I mean, if I've got a major tear uh, that would be something else I'd probably need to address. as There's probably something else going on, but for the most part I'll get a pretty good tear at that point. And so I'll fine tune that just a little bit with the air rest, make sure I get the height right because set is more of a, a horizontal adjustment and what it does for your tuning. There's really no vertical adjustment in that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'll, I'll get to make make sure I get the uh, the vertical tear as good as I possibly can. Usually bullet hole. So if I start off with a bullet hole about six feet, I'll go ahead and step back to about twelve feet and make sure it's still shooting a good hole because at six feet you can get a perfect reaction. At twelve feet, sometimes what looks perfect at six feet might've had just a slight tear in it and you didn't really realize it. And so you step back to 12 feet and it might be giving you just a little bit more of a directional tear. And so then you can make a finer adjustment at that point. And then, uh, so it, it, at that point I would actually even use set at say 12 feet because it is starting to get into a fine adjustment at that point. And so on the side of the bow, there's a little sticker, a little call-out sticker um, that will give you the direction to uh, to turn the drive screw. So there's a drive screw and there is a, uh, a lockdown screw on set technology. And the drive screw is located on the side of the riser. <clears throat> it, uh, on the Envision, which is the, the uh, 2022 flagship bow, it's actually on the bow sight side of the bow or the sight side of the bow site, uh, not the, not the arrow rest or not the uh, arrow side of the bow. Um, but it, typically I, well, I call that the cable side, um, mm-hmm. the cable guard. So it, it's on that side of the bow and the, the sticker on there will tell you a clockwise adjustment is for a right turn and a counterclockwise adjustment is for a left, a left tear. Mm-hmm. And so, um, So if I've shot through the paper and I'm at 12 feet and I get a left tear and let's just say it's about, Oh, let's, let's say it's a quarter inch at 12 feet. I'll probably only move it about an eighth of a turn, an eighth of a turn top, an eighth of a turn bottom. I guess I need to back up and say, I'll loosen up the lockdown screw first, Mm -hmm. just crack it open. I don't really Screw it, unscrew it way out. I just crack it open where it's just loose, and then I actually leave it loose until I'm done tuning because there's no reason to just keep cranking on it, tightening it back down, all that sort of stuff. Because when you lock that down, it actually doesn't do anything to the pocket. It's, I mean, everything's still stable. You're just you're locking it down. So yeah.
0: you just have this lock um, screw that sort of is just like on a release. It just stops your adjustment any further. But you're talking about just leave it unlocked while you're adjusting it.
1: Right, yeah. And so I I leave that unlocked. I do about an eighth of a turn, and that would, at 12 feet, that'll basically take care of that quarter-inch right Mm tear. And so then I step back to 20 yards, and I sight the bow in with a fletched arrow, uh, and then I shoot a a bear shaft arrow, the same exact arrow, just no fletching on it. And I'll shoot those two arrows to see how each one hits in relation to each other. And if if it's a if the bear shaft arrow hits to the left or to the right, I can adjust that out with uh, using set. So if the bear shaft shoots to the left of the fletched arrow, that means that I'm actually getting a little bit of a right tear out of the bow or the a tail right mm-hmm. because what happens is that point comes out and it's actually going to the left just a little bit and the tail end of the arrow is to the right so it overcorrects, and then it impacts to the left so so when i see that i'll make that adjustment and when you're starting to get um, when you're when you're only a, an inch or so off you can move just one end of the bow you don't have to move both uh, at the exact same time because now you're talking about a super fine adjustment when you're only an inch or so off so you can uh, you know I, at that point i would i would turn for a right chair again probably an eighth of a turn but i'd only do one end instead of both and so that would probably straighten it out right there and then your bear shaft and your flesh arrow would be hitting the same so then what i would do Then I would actually go outside because I have an indoor range. I'm basically doing that inside. And I would go outside with a broadhead, and I typically go to 30 because once I get a bear shaft and a fletched arrow hitting the same at 20, I can guarantee you that my fixed blade broadhead is still going to impact the same spot at 20 yards. Now, it might not be close enough at 30 yards, but at 20, it's going to be close enough that I'm going to say, yeah, that's good. So I'm going to go to 30 yards. i got to back up. I don't have a 30-yard indoor range, so I'd go outside. Number one, make sure the wind ain't blowing because the wind and a fixed-blade broadhead will give you all kinds of mixed results. Uh, So you definitely need a really nice, calm day to do that outside. And then I would shoot my my broadhead uh, fletched arrows with my fletched field point arrows, and I would see how they hit in relationship to each other and then, again, if it's a horizontal uh, miss, whether it be left or right, you, know, you have to determine which direction to move set based on how the broadhead impacts compared to the fletched or the field point arrow. So, again, if the broadhead is hitting to the left of the, of the field point arrow, it's the same thing that's actually happening with the bear shaft.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. When it
1: impacts to, to the left, uh, it's because it's actually coming out a little bit tail right. So the broadhead just amplifies um, what that bear shaft arrow was doing. So, you, again, you would, uh, if it's just a little ways off, all you would need to move is just one, um, one end of the bow. But if it's, you know, three, four inches off, then you might actually move both ends and move both about an eighth of a turn. You don't want to do too much at a time because if you've already got the bow that tuned, you're going to be really close. It's going to be a very fine adjustment that's going to line everything back up. But yeah, and and, and again, during this whole process, never use the bow press, not once. Yeah, um, and obviously, and, and, and the only other thing I'll add to that now that that's using set technology you don't always miss left and right. Sometimes you have high and low in there too. So for that adjustment, you just adjust your arrow rest. Right.
0: Up and down. And mm-hmm. all these adjustments that Nathan's talking about, one Allen wrench, you traditionally would just, you know, undo the lock screw. You're going to turn that uh, adjustment on the set screw one way or the other. And that, that sticker is is very handy because it's, <laughs> it's hard to remember if you can't see the sticker, but it tells you tail right, tail left. And it shows you which way to turn it and bang, you're there. And like you said, just a little a little dabble do you, a little bit of a turn makes the difference. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, and the funny thing is, um, you know, just like earlier when I said I can't remember if it was twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen when we uh did set I do remember now it was twenty nineteen because the bow the cure came out in twenty twenty. Um and it was all done super fast. But um I I said that to say this. Um I, I don't remember anything. I mean, I, I really do. Uh, I have a horrible memory. And, and I, I like to quote Einstein. And I'm not comparing myself to Einstein, <laughs> but I like to quote Einstein as saying <clears throat> he never remembered anything that he could look up. <laughs> right. Because he didn't see that there was a reason to use yeah. that much brain space. He wanted to keep his mind open. So he wouldn't, he said, I, I'll never, if I can look it up, I'm not going to bother remembering it. So I, I like to say that's what I'm doing when I'm so forgetful.
2: <clears throat>
1: Excuse me, but um, the little sticker that's on the side of that riser, I honestly probably wouldn't remember which direction to turn it yeah. if uh, if that sticker wasn't on the side of the riser. But that's why I one of the reasons why I like it so much is because it is so simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just look at that and uh, and it tells you which direction to go. So.
0: It's incredible. Like I said, when, when you have your average guy trying to make his, you know, maybe a brand new broadhead, you're just trying out or whatever, and you're trying to make it work. You could literally just be on your range and it's super simple. You can do all the adjustments right there. No need to go anywhere. And you can dial it in arguably better than anything else because it's all micro tune. I mean, you can just barely touch that, that adjustment screw and get an adjustment, or you can do a lot of adjustment. It's so, it's so micro tunable that Whether you need a literal lot, you know, you can do it and you can do it all right there. I think it's something that more people should look at and at least try because the ability to get that dialed in and perfect is right at your fingertips and nobody else really offers that.
1: Right. It it is a proprietary um, technology. I mean, that is ours. You know, it's a patented design that that, uh, only we own and we haven't licensed it to anyone else. Um, and so you were asking, and one of the things you asked earlier was to uh, tell people what actually is happening when you're moving that. So I didn't explain that. So the pocket is basically made up of, of two points of contact. So you have the front of the limb that historically, that's where everyone adjusts your, your poundage um, because you have a limb bolt that screws into the riser. And typically there is either a plate or some sort of capturing system that goes over the top of the limb. The limb bolt um, holds down in place, and when you crank it in or crank it out, it makes the, it tightens the limb up on its pivot. So the limb, the second point of contact is the pivot. <clears throat> and by pivot, I'm actually talking about a um, a, a, a actual hinge point. Where where when you crank on that pocket, um, obviously you have the resistance from the string cable that's holding the uh, opposite end of that limb. So that's the that's the tipping point down here. And basically, this system works like a teeter totter. Um, so the bigger the guy is on the teeter totter, uh, the harder it is on the other end before that to uh, to go back down. So. So that's basically what you're doing when you're when you're cranking poundage down. You're making it more difficult on the opposite end because it's locked in place. You're making it more difficult for you to pull that back because it's really ramping up the the tension there. So so that's your pivot point, and it's pivoting like like I said, like a teeter totter. Um, now if you that's only one axis or one direction of movement, um, where that's, where that's rocking. And I was calling that a rocker before, because that's exactly what it does. Um, when you, when you draw the bow that that there's a part under, under the limb where it literally has to rock and move slightly like a rocker would. And it's curved just like the, the uh, you know a rocker on a on a chair. If it's got rockers on it, then it's a rocking chair. And so this is doing the same thing, but the direction that set actually adjusts is the the horizontal plane. So if the limb tip is um, ninety degrees or it's flat, it's perfectly level on a horizontal plane. And at that rocking point, if you adjust that uh, where it, instead of uh, rocking back and forth, if you go side to side and pivot that pocket right there, then you're going to change the plane of that limb tip. So that limb tip will uh, gain a degree one way or the other, two or three degrees one way or the other. So basically what happened is, You've got the base of the pocket. The first point of contact where the limb bolt's at, it stays the same. It's a constant level, perfectly flat plane. But the second point of contact where the rocking is actually done, set technology, what it does is it actually um, makes the, the, the plane that's at. I'm trying to make this... I see it all in my head, and I'm trying to explain it over the air. I'm trying to think <laughs> how how do you actually explain that? Um, it's hard without looking without at it. without getting into you know math, um, <laughs> and I, and I'm not really good at any of it. So, um, but you're 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 basically pivoting that um, that point of contact from side to side now in a horizontal manner instead of a. a vertical, allowing it to uh, you know press down like uh, if you were on the front of the limb pocket, allowing it to rock back and forth. Now we're going uh, horizontally with this adjustment that you're making. And it doesn't just move it from side to side. It's actually allowing one limb to go down and the other limb is coming up slightly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it doesn't take much to induce uh, that uh, limb tip plane, uh, to make the can lean one direction or the other. Yeah. So your, your limb tip, uh, basically what you're doing is you're, you're raising one limb and lowering the other. That's the easiest, most simple explanation of what it's actually doing is it's raising one limb and lowering the other, but it's not quite doing it, um, just individually as it is together, you know, you move down, you move up, you move up, you move down from side to side. So.
0: And that's what's inducing the cam lean. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. So visually, if you if you think like, uh, all of us used to be like in the pool and you do leg kicks and you just have, you know, you're sitting on your butt and you're just kicking your legs up and down. That's sort of what the limbs are doing. Like one's, but very micro level one's kind of going up. One's kind of going down. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. There you go. I got that. I mean, you explained that to a T. I got that good. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, it it works, and is that I think that's the other kind of bottom line is it works. So instead of kind of spending a fair amount of time dealing, moving cams left and right, and all that, this technology lets you do that adjustment that way. And and man, it's it's significant, and it's 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 excellent. And whether you're looking to tune bear shaft, paper tear, rod heads. It does all of that, and it's all the same kind of adjustment. It's crazy. This episode of Archery in Depth is brought to you by X-Focus 365, the U.S. maker of premium archery lenses. Are you ready to take your archery game to the next level? Are you tired of seeing fuzz and maybe not the most clear picture when when you're shooting? They've fixed it various lenses for various price points. If you're not sure exactly where to go, you wanna start out somewhere, you can certainly start with like a poly lens, check out something like that and make sure you find the right magnification and an area you're looking at in size. Or if you've decided, you know what, I want the best lens money can buy. I wanna see the clearest thing I possibly can. Go check out the doublet lens. It's amazing. The technology is great in that thing. Crystal clear, exactly what your money is worth. So go check them out, xfocus365.com. Also find them at Lancaster or arcuswork.com.
1: For sure. Um, you, you know, the thing about the, all of that is, too, it's a... <clears throat> I mean, we we say it over and over and over, uh, but it's the it's the most simplest way to do it. I mean, there there are other ways to do it, um, and I, I mean, I'll just say straightforward. Uh, Botex deadlock cam system is a nice way of adjusting cam lane as well. The problem is, is you're only limited to how much space you have up there to adjust from side to side. So it's kind of like doing um, uh, limp, It's kind of like using spacers. Mm -hmm. Um, without having to go to the bow press to do it, which is a really nice system. But you're just limited in how much adjustment you have from side to side um, because the system can only work so far. Whereas, I mean, uh, ours has that too. We only have a limited range. I mean, obviously, it's not an infinite amount of adjustment on Mm -hmm. ours, but you get more range of motion in our system. And and honestly, too, you could – you could actually space the cam on the axle still if you wanted. Yeah. So, so let's say you maxed set technology out one direction. If you wanted to, you could actually go to a bow press and you could, um, go ahead and move spacers to where you already have an initial lean, a certain direction. And that would allow you to move set back to the middle. And then you would have the ability to move it from there. So there is, there's, you still have the option of actually spacing the cam. So I I, I do get that question from time to time, you know, Hey, can I still space my cam? Oh, of certain sort. Um, absolutely. Certainly you can. It's, uh, it it still has spacings on the axle. There's still spacers up there. So you can go, you know, if you want to induce it a little bit to begin with, you can do it that way. And then you have a a full range of motion with set rather than just, whatever you start with.
0: Yeah. I also found tinkering around, you could get a lot more adjustment or if you're maxing out one direction or the other with the cable guard and moving that cable guard around.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, so there's a, a good point too. So as I was talking about earlier with my wife boat and it being very lightweight poundage, when you move the, the cables over to allow for, you know, let's just say the bow is sitting there without a cable slide on it. And when you grab those cables and you pull them over to the right to allow an arrow to shoot off of the bow because you got to have that uh, arrow clearance, fletching clearance. So when you do that, all of a sudden, everything on the bow actually leans to the right. If it's a right-handed bow. Mm -hmm. uh, Because you have pulled you pull to the right with those cables. And now, so the balance balance of pressure or the load balance that's on those cables has been moved over. So now everything is wanting to move over. So you have torque already induced on the bow to begin with. So you have to take that into consideration too. So one of the things that that SET does (coughs) is it allows you cause every system is different. Um, so like with my wife, bow, there's not much cable load pressure that's actually being pulled over to the right. So it's not going to make that load very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that lean is not going to move very fast. So where, you know, uh, I know you mentioned at one point, like you like 75 pounds, uh, you're a Western hunter and you like more weight. So one of the things that, that you're going to see when you, pull your cables over to the right is you're going to see a very heavy, heavily induced load to the right on your bow, which kind of almost causes the riser to turn mm-hmm. basically yep. um, rotationally. And so, you know, you take that exact same bow and you make it a 40 pound peak weight or a 50 pound peak weight. It doesn't act anywhere near the same that yours does at 75 pounds. Right. So that's another issue that you deal with uh, when you're designing product is you're constantly having to hit the extremes. You got to make sure that you're you're adjusting and you're tu- you're able to tune for the extremes of what you're offering. And so that's a, that's not as easy as everybody thinks it is um, because you know a 75 pound bow with our system on it. I'm just going to rough a number in there i'm going to say each cable probably has 300 pounds of load on it at full draw sure, at least so um and and that's that's not bad at all considering um single cam systems years ago or even hybrid cam systems your bus cable would be over 400 pounds of load pressure that's one of the reasons why bus cables on single cam bows get chewed up really fast is because they got so much pressure on them um, and one of the nice things about a, a binary cam system or a two cam design, which a binary and two cam are totally different, but they do balance the, the cable load between each cable. And that really helps on um, having a system that doesn't change on you, you know, because if it does, it's probably doing it to the, it does it exactly the same to each cable, you know, because they're, they're balanced.
0: Let's uh, let's talk about some of the other technology that's in these bows that I have I found interesting for sure. So most bows that I'm seeing uh, in the Elite line can come with two different uh, modules, right? We got the performance set, which I think are typically silver, and then I think it's it called a smooth set. Uh, there might be another word for it, but your black set. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference between the two and how the two are different and work?
1: Yeah, so you've got um, on the... ASIM Tri-Track cam system, which is what has been on the Cure and the result since 2020, all of our flagship bows have had the ASIM Tri-Track cam. So, 2021, 22 model bows will all have that. And that cam system actually has three different mods available for it. So, you have the standard mod, which is black, uh, which we're now calling smooth for 2023. Um, But I'm jumping ahead of myself here. But 2021 and 22 models, you've got the standard mod, which is black. You've got a performance mod, which is gray and dark gray. And then you have a 75% mod that's kind of a white or even a light gray color. Mm. And um, the 75% mod is confusing for a lot of people. Uh, And it shouldn't be, but, but it is because they see the range of adjustment that you have on the standard and the performance mod, and it goes from 70 to 90%. Okay. And another confusing thing about that for a lot of people is if, if your adjustment system goes from 70 to 90% let off and the way we do it on our mod systems is we have, uh, uh, basically a foot, I'm going to call it an adjustable foot mm-hmm. on the end of our module that has a, a set screw on, on it, a, a T15 set screw. And in that uh, foot, you've got a slot. And that slot has four different positions for that T15 set screw to lock down in. And in those four positions, you adjust the let off from high let off to low let off. Well, if you're thinking that that's 70 to 90%, and we say it's 5% every adjustment, that doesn't, the math doesn't add up. Right. So, um, basically what this is, is the cam systems, it, it's really not 5% per adjustment. It's it's more like three and a half or four, something like that. And so, um, 90% on this cam system is actually seen at the short draw so this this module also has seven inches of draw length adjustment in it, and it, you can imagine from uh, twenty-three to thirty-inch draw length, it, that's really difficult to design a system that performs exactly the same. Right. I mean, exactly the same all the way through seven inches of draw length. So really, what happens with this with this cam system? is you have about 15% adjustment in the cam system, not 20. But the thing is, it actually does do 90% and it does do 70%, but at at its extremes. So I'm not trying to make this complicated, but these are questions that I get a lot. Mm -hmm. And so it's easier for me to go ahead and just explain it. So if I was at 23-inch draw length on a cure, and I set the, the, the let-off at the highest let-off setting, it would be 90% let-off. Mm-hmm. If I went to 30-inch, which is the longest draw-in setting on a cure, and I set the highest let-off setting on it, it would actually only be 85%. Sure. So it will go down at 30 inches. It will go down to 70% let-off. But at 23 inches, it won't actually go all the way down to 70 percent. It only goes to 75 percent. Mm-hmm. So the range is 70 to 90 percent, but it's over that full span of seven inches of drawing. So, um, so that little foot adjustment goes in and out, and you just basically set it for whatever setting or however you like for it to feel. And that's on the standard and performance mod. And so I, people get confused when I say we've got a 75% mod. And basically what that means is it's 75% at its max, at its peak letoff, it's 75%. So um, the difference is when you take a performance mod or a standard mod and you put them on the lowest letoff setting, what's happening is it's stopping that cam from cycling any further because mm-hmm. if you were to put it all the way out on the longest uh, or the highest let off setting it actually would increase your drawing if you went from shortest to longest it's almost going to increase your draw length right at a half of an inch because it's allowing that cam to continue its rotation right and then if you put it on the short side it's stopping the cam's rotation so that's why it holds more weight the problem is for most people on the very shortest setting is it gets kind of edgy or snappy like it's ready to go um, because it's just shortening that cycle so there's very little dwell zone at full draw or a valley at full draw it's just not really there on the short side yeah so the 75 percent mod was designed to have a good long dwell zone or valley at 75 percent and that way, you can shorten it up and go seventy percent, sixty-five percent, and it's still really comfortable to hold. If you get it all the way out on its shortest setting, then it's starting to feel pretty edgy at say sixty percent let off. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a there's a, and there's a huge arrangement of that too, Marty. Because when you when you talk about um, these three different mods, it makes the bow feel totally different. So if you don't the one thing I tell a lot of people it's like, um, I'm sure they probably say it from Montana. If you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes; it'll change. Right. Um, so the same kind of thing goes with these bows. Almost, it's like if you don't like the way the bow feels, change the mod. It feels totally different when you change the mod. Mm-hmm. So you're not really stuck with the way the bow feels. You can customize this to make it feel how you want. Because we've got those three different modules with so many different settings on it that <clears throat> that you can customize it to make it feel how you want. And then on top of that, these mods have quarter-inch draw-length adjustments on them. So that's something also that in the past we haven't seen, well, really hardly any of. I mean, there have been bows out there in the past that have quarter-inch draw-length adjustments on, but they're very, very few. The nice thing about it is, again, with this cam system, you don't have to use a bow press. So let's say that you get the bow set up and you really like how it feels at full draw. I mean, you absolutely love it. It's just got such a wonderful valley and it feels really good, but that draw length feels just a little bit long. Maybe a quarter inch shorter would be better. It's really simple. It's two screws, maybe three, depends on your draw length and where you're setting that, but you basically have uh, a couple of screws that you have to pull out of the mod or one you have to loosen, the other one you have to pull out. And then you rotate the mod up to the next hole and you're a quarter inch shorter. And then you can try the bow right there. Again, you never had to take it to the bow press. You don't have to take this to an archery shop to make that adjustment. It's really, really simple. You just have to have a porch uh, 220 and 215 wrench.
0: Nice. Now, are the are the differences in these mods, will you feel it in the draw cycle as well, or is this more of a let-off difference between them all? No,
1: you definitely feel the, the difference in the, in the draw cycle. So <clears throat> the performance mod is the fastest, and obviously the name says it itself, performance, right? So, I mean, you're looking for the most performance you can get out of the cam system, and you don't get something for nothing. If we've learned anything over the past, Uh, 20 years of building bows is you don't get something for nothing. (laughs) So if you're going to have to exert a lot of energy to pull a bow back, then you need to get the maximum out of it, the maximum speed. And so one of the things that that, uh, elite has been known for over the years is not so much speed. Uh, They're known for smooth and shootability, easy draw cycles and easy to shoot. What do we lose by having such a smooth draw cycle and the ease of ability? You lose a little bit of speed. Yeah. Our bows are historically not super fast, but they're super easy to shoot, and they're very accurate. And, and so that, that's what I actually think needs to be the focus, and that's actually been the focus of, of our company's um, foresight and uh and we we really just want to make bows shootable and tunable for people. Make it easy. Um, now that being said, uh, we're we're pushing the envelope with uh, some of the new products, uh, and still they're not going to set speed records. Uh, mm-hmm. These these aren't bows that again they're, they're pushing the speed record. We're we're not going to get into that because we don't feel that that's worth messing with. Mm-hmm. Um. We are still always going to be focused on shootability, making the world's most shootable bow, um, and, and that's going to be our focus across the board. is to is to build these things that are easy to shoot. So that being said, the performance mod is the fastest, um, the fastest module, and it has a little bit of a hump at the very end. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's ever shot an elite bow in the past, say the Energy 35 or a Victory 37, the performance cam is no harsher than that draw cycle on those bows. And I've heard people say, you know, consistently all the time, I, I hear people say, man, I had an E35 or an E32, Energy 32. That is my favorite bow I've ever owned. It drew so easy. Well, that's the way the performance mod draws. Mm-hmm. It, it's no harsher than, those, than that uh, draw cycle. And then the standard mod is still based on the seventy and ninety percent let off. So it, but it draws really smooth. It doesn't hardly. I'll basically say it doesn't have a hump in the back. Um, it, even though there is, there's got to be something there. There's still a peak, yeah. but it's not really a hump. It's a steady. It hits the draw, you know, the peak draw weight, and it kind of stays there, and then it just slowly starts tapering off. And then finally, it starts dropping into the valley. So don't feel it. It as much. hits the mm-hmm. right. It hits the the peak draw cycle, uh, peak draw weight. It hits it really early in the draw cycle, and then it starts easing off. Whereas the performance mod hits the peak draw cycle a little bit later, and then kind of hangs on a little longer. Um, and that's where you get more speed. And then the seventy five mod. Wow. It's just like butter. It's the smooth. It it reminds me of a, of an old, uh, round wheel bow because it's just so smooth. It doesn't have a hump anywhere in it because it's, it's never dropping off into a big hole, uh, for that high let off. So it just, it's just super smooth. The whole draw cycle.
0: Is that 75% mod? Is that a bit, uh, more speedier than the standard?
1: Nope, it's actually um, about the same speed, maybe a foot or two slower. Ah, okay. Um, just because the same same thing, um, it's uh, it's really not designed for peak performance. Is more so than it's designed for. Uh, drawing to hold hold more weight sure. and where we see the majority of people that use the 75% mod is not in the hunting situations it's usually in the target shooting situations yep. um, and it's mainly just because they're looking for uh, that higher holding weight to kind of clean up the shot and it helps with nerves anytime you get a little jittery mm-hmm. uh, the high let off can be a deterrent there. It'll,
0: it'll, keep <laughs> it'll keep you honest. It'll keep you honest for sure. Yeah. Um, one other thing about the uh, the shootability that I wanted to touch base on, at least, is the grip. Whoever or whatever team helped design that grip, it's the most comfortable bow grip I think out there. It's. <laughs> It's strange to, to think about because there's no fancy like rubber grise grip or anything. It's machined into the riser, but it's the most comfortable grip there is, I think by far.
1: Yeah, that's the, the again, a collaboration of a lot of guys. Um, I, I can continue throwing the, the, uh, the credit back to uh, our engineering staff. Uh, but at the same time, our engineering staff, they like to throw the credit back to, you know, other people. And, and it's really team effort. I mean, uh, I will say this for our company at the moment. We have a great functioning team um, from production to engineering to accounting uh, to sales. It really is. It's a great functioning team. And, you know, our leadership is good. Um you know, our CEO, Anthony Steele, he's, he's a great listener. And, and that's what it takes, I think, to be a really good leader is you have to, you have to get the most out of your employees. I mean, and, and that, that goes, uh, that speaks volumes to, to any manufacturing or any company getting the most out of your employees typically takes a, a good leader that listens and understands who you've got and, and what, number one, what you expect out of them? Are they the right person for the job? And then, how do I get the most out of those people? And and at the moment, I really feel like we have a great group. But at the same time, uh, you work together as a unit uh, to uh, you know t- develop, continue developing good product. And and honestly, that the grip is just a kind of, uh, collaboration of a lot of good shooters and uh, good engineering. A good engineering team that says, "All right, here's how this should work. Study the hand. Look at what the hand looks like, and how should we fit it? I mean, if you're just sticking a piece of aluminum up there for you to to grab a hold of, that doesn't seem right. You know, I mean, you got to have a you got to have an understanding of the hand and what most hands look like and what they're what they're doing. So, um, and then pressure, uh, uh, the pressure around the hand." when you're you know when you've got a bow in it you know how do how do you how do you utilize um, the material to fit the hand but also fit the hand at the right pressure point points, and then you've got to make it consistent so from a shooting standpoint that has always been a major issue for me um i can remember back when i first started shooting competitively years ago and uh, you know, taking grips off of bows and just shooting the bear riser because it was so much better than the grips that they were building that were so blocky and big and, you know, just uh, they just weren't conducive to, to good accuracy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's kind of what this is. It, for instance, our Envision has the same grip as our new verdict, our new honey our new target bow. So when you realize that it's like okay you've got a target shooter's grip Mm -hmm. in a hunting bow and then you've also got a hunting grip on a target bow so wow you know we're really you're you're paying attention across the board as to what makes these things work it's not so much about what's comfortable or what's this or what's that it's what works what's right and you know you try and find the most repeatable thing you possibly can
0: they work. They work. One of the other, uh, options I wanted to talk to you about, which I have found more and more interesting is the limb stops and the features to put on limb stops instead of cable stops. And then, which I only recently found out, you also offer some O-rings that you could put on the limb stops. And if you could talk a little bit about how that can make a difference for what you're feeling with a limb stop.
1: Yeah. So, um, again, trying to cater to all the different shooters, um, if you are a fan of elite and you've been shooting elite a long time, you understand what a limb stop does. You understand how a limb stop feels. It is a wall that you can't pull past. Uh, It's like running into um, just a brick wall and you can't do anything about it. It's just solid as a rock. And it gives you an exact point of uh, reference where you're pulling back to. And there's, I mean, there's just, There's nothing you can do with it when you hit the wall. And historically, uh, elites have had high let-off, about 90%. And so I think that that's actually a really good thing for a 90% let-off bow to have a really, really hard limb-stop feel. So um, one of the drawbacks to the older elites was when you put it in a bow press, you typically had to take – the uh the draw stop off mm-hmm. in order to put it in the press um, because the little fingers that press the end of the limbs uh, can't get in there because of that limb stop so if you take that limb stop off and then you forget to put it back in the cam and you draw the bow back, the cam would literally lock up at full draw so that was a really really bad thing uh, so one of the things that we did when we started designing these bows moving forward from you know, several years ago was we we got to make these bows to where, number one, they don't do that. So if we design the bow to where it has a cable stop on it, then it can't do that because it's in the mod system where it will you can go back and forth to the press, no issues whatsoever at all with pressing it and having a cable stop. But we also want to give that, that elite feel Uh, with the limb stop option because a lot of people like that and you know our our elite customers and fans they've they've been used to that so that's what we wanted to do and so you can put the limb stop onto the cable stop onto the foot that adjusts um on that module and when you draw the bow back we have a uh, a landing pad basically that's on the limb so the the cable stop um is kind of out of it's out of the, uh, out of the equation. I mean, it, the cable stop is still working uh, because that's what the limb stop is attached to. Yeah. The limb stop, just hits, first, back, right? yeah, the limb stop hits first before the cable stop. Mm-hmm. So, so that gives you that really, really super hard wall. And so, um, the cool thing is if you've seen the new verdict, um, kind of divulging some information here but I'm going to do it because it's, it's coming. It, anybody that has seen our new verdict, which is a target bow, we have a new cam on there called the SPX cam so we've also got new mods well these mods, there's three of them, just like the ASIM tri-track cam, we have a performance mod a smooth mod, and a 75% mod available but on this module system we have a micro-adjustment limb stop system and cable stop system. So it's the same, but it's micro adjustable. And so what that does for the shooter is before on the, uh, ACM tri track tri cam system, we, the, the mod is actually called a Versa mod. Mm-hmm. So on the Versa mod, we had that foot that was adjustable, but it had four positions that it, that foot could actually be in. So now, um, If you want to micro-adjust your stop and you only want to move it and get a a pound of holding weight more, you can easily just adjust it micro-adjustment and get one pound. Um, Instead of having to go all the way from one position to the next position to the next position, you had to learn to shoot it in those positions. Uh, So this really elevates the ability to customize the feel and and get it exactly where you want it and also what it does it helps you synchronize your your cams also so let's say you're you're trying to adjust let off or not let off but you're trying to adjust and you have adjusted the foot on the ASIM uh tri-track cam you've adjusted the, the versamod's foot and your timing is slightly off so you need to put a twist in one of the cables to get the timing to hit exactly the same, both top and bottom. Well, the cool thing about this system is with this micro-adjustability is if your timing is te- technically, it can be off. When I say off, I'm using air quotes here. But timing on this cam system is really nothing more than having your cam synced to where top and bottom stops hit equally. And so if you need to move one just slightly to make the... the, the uh cam stop or the cable stop touch or the limb stop either either way you got it set up you can just move one just slightly and get it all perfect where you don't have to put it in the press and adjust the the um the length of the cables so that technology is coming to you in 23.
0: okay so (laughs) you've let the cat out of the bag this is something I wanted to talk to you a lot about, even though we spent a lot of time on the set system. But this new SPX cam design for the um, Verdict, which is the target bow, I'm going to assume you guys are going to probably implement it in a lot more bows because I I don't think I've ever seen it in any other bow, but it's basically a micro-adjustable let off, right? You're, you're able to move that let off in really fine increments instead of, the set, you know, screws in one spot where it's gonna be that and that's all you get. Now you're now you're able to adjust it by by the pound. Is that right? I mean
1: you could you could literally do a half pound, quarter pound. I mean, if you want to move it just ever so slightly, it's micro adjustable. So I mean you can it's really um, just how much do you want to change it. And the one thing about that system is, in, in any of these systems, that you have to understand, too, is that if you're wanting more holding weight um, by changing your, your, your let-off system, where it's, it, whether it be micro-adjustable or you're going from, you know, like the ASIM tri track cam um, on the Mod, there, where you adjust it from one setting to the next, all of those changes actually minutely change your draw length too, uh, because what that's doing again, you're 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 stopping the cycle of the cam system. So, so that you're either stopping it or you know if you're wanting more let off, you're going the opposite direction. So you're 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 allowing it to go further uh, in the draw cycle. So all those all those changes make a tiny little bit difference in the let off or in the draw length. Also, understand too that, uh, I mean, you, you can change a D loop a little bit, and that changes the length of your draw length, you know. So, um, any of those changes that, that you want to make, and if you're that precision of a machine shooting machine, which I am not, <laughs> um, an eighth of an inch I know I, I've heard lots of people over the years tell me I, I can tell an eighth of an inch. Maybe, uh, maybe they can. Uh, I'm I'm not doubting people, but I will say this: that for the most part, the top end guys that I've watched over the years, they've had their draw length flux. Uh, you know, fluctuate from you know a, a half inch at times. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, myself personally, I've won uh, professional tournaments and I've shot thirty inch draw length. I've shot as short as twenty eight and seven eighths back in the early uh 2000 era I, that's what i was i was winning with 28 and 7 8 inch drawing and in 2017 i won a tournament in 30 inches so um you know as as the human body changes so does everything else uh but uh but yeah so yeah um micro adjustable system uh you can you can do half pound pound it's got it it has marks on the module uh so as you go to change it it, and i'll tell you how it actually adjusts on the verdict you have a lockdown screw and then you have again i'll call it a drive screw Uh, it's more like a gear Mm -hmm. but um you, the lockdown screw, you do nothing more than just crack it open, same sort of thing, just loosen it up just a little bit. And then the same Allen head, which I forget what size that is, but the same Allen screw fits the, the, the drive gear. So you're able to just put the same Allen wrench in there, and if you want to move it just ever so slightly, you can just micro-adjust a little ways and then lock it right back down again.
0: And are you doing that on both cams, or is it one cam? Well, that would just depend, just depend, I guess, on your timing. Um, but the
1: way I would do that is I would, I would move both, and then I would put it in my uh, draw board and make sure that the timing is still exact. And then if it was off just a little bit, I would um, adjust whichever one was just slightly off to where it's hitting the cable at the same time at full draw
0: what's, what's the range of adjustment for this? Because, you know, again, this is, this is pretty new, brand new on the verdict and I've never seen it before, but what's the range of adjustment that you can move that uh, adjustment screw between?
1: So it's, it's really similar in range of motion uh, to the the Versamod, the original Versamod other than, you know, this is micro adjustable. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one was adjustable 70 to 90%. But like I said, on the low end is where you get 90%. On the high end of the draw cycle is where you get the, the, the lowest uh, let off. So this is kind of the same thing, 70 to 90%. Um, so it would give you those same same basic options the way the can system works. Gotcha.
0: But the the big difference is for everybody that will hopefully look this up is the micro-attunability of it again. Instead of having these predefined holes that you're putting your your stop into you can turn this little gear as little or as much as you want. And you can feel just, you know, the ever so slightest difference in holding weight and it'll affect your draw like a little <laughs> bit, but you know, you're talking, if you want 81% let off, if you want 83% let off, you can kind of achieve that now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know of any other system on the market that has micro adjustability. Um, and again, you know that's I, I'm proud of our team, so I'm going to boast a little bit. Um, that's that's what we're trying to do. That's the stuff we're trying to do year in year out. Is bring something new to the market because, as we as I stated, kind of in the beginning of this call, um, you know, I, I'm always waiting for the new bows. to Come everybody's new model because I want to see what they're thinking. You know, where where are they at? You know, what what's their what's the process? Are they just trying to you know polish up the same old pig <laughs> right. or, or or they uh or they actually thinking and trying to bring something new to the market and it's not easy uh, I, I don't mean that disrespectfully to any company because it's not easy to bring something new to market and honestly a lot of these ideas that everybody has um they're really not new they're just a better design on an old idea so, or maybe this old idea came to market years and years and years ago, but it was so rough that it just wasn't accepted or it wasn't appreciated because the technology may not have been there to really feel the difference. For right. instance, um, you know, we can go back to the, the bear Delta V and I don't remember what year that was, but it was a, you uh, Gosh, long time ago. Uh, what was that? Late eight or late seventies or early eighties, maybe. Then it had string stops on it. Um, but when it was shot, it was such an abrasive system. I don't know that anybody could tell that it had that the string stops were doing anything. Let alone if, if you took the string stops off. Um, I mean, it would have probably blew the strings up because the way the bow worked. Yeah. But um, it had to have them on there. But the thing is, the string stop idea wasn't something that came around in the early 2000 era. It's been around a long time. It's just it wasn't appreciated at the time because it really wasn't doing much for that bow. Um, Same thing with the single cam design. Um, When Matt McPherson got it going heavily in the early 90s and through through the mid and late 90s and just ran with it, Well, that idea had come out years ago on a Martin bow, but again, it wasn't appreciated because the bows weren't really that good at that time to be able to see that it was making a difference. It didn't have a feel difference than a single cam or a a dual cam bow, and at the time, they weren't getting the productivity as far as energy out of it either. So uh, all, all these systems have, you know, a lot of this stuff has been around in the past, but it's just not been appreciated or given the right opportunity because maybe it wasn't designed correctly uh, to be user friendly, or also maybe it just on the on the old bows you couldn't tell much difference yeah. um, because you know the, just the bow itself was a tank or whatever.
0: Rough. Yeah. The the technology in today's compound bows is really relatively new. I mean, bows ten years ago didn't really have this kind of performance, didn't really have this kind of engineering in it. It really didn't. A, com- uh, a compound bow is a relatively new thing in archery, frankly.
1: Yes, it, it is. And, and it's, and it's uh, you know, I'm, I hear people say a lot, and I'm not exactly sure why they say it, but um, I hear a lot of people say, well, archery is like 10 to 20 years behind where technologys at. <laughs> because, technology comes out on let's just say uh you know i don't know I, i'm thinking like cell phones or something the the ability that we have digitally to do what we do is just amazing but when do we install that into archery mm-hmm. i guess is kind of the point there it's like all right so our cars you know where a car has been for many 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 years and then all of a sudden we come out with something in archery and it's like, yeah, that technology has actually been alive in the automotive industry for 20 plus years, but it just now made its way to archery, you know, or the, it's an idea or something that's out there. So I hear that a lot, but at the same time, I, it, I don't know how it applies exactly because I'm, you know, I've been in this for a long time and I'll always try and figure out, all right, well, if we're, well, if we're that far behind then where, where do we need to get caught up to? And, and what is it that's going to get us caught up with the age of technology? I'm not, I'm not really sure, but I I don't want to get off, I guess, on that rabbit hole uh, or that rabbit trail um, just because uh, trying to figure out technology. But you're exactly right. Compound Bow is actually fairly new, and, um, you know, all the technologies have been – brought to the market uh, like i said before is you know a lot of it's just about refining it and making it better and yeah. i'd also heard years i'd also heard once upon a time that uh and i don't know if this is true or not but you know like when uh matthews was uh coming out with all their stuff say in the 90s that he had basically had a, a long list of things that he wanted to come out with and he just made it like instead of doing it all at one time he did it over progression of 10 years you know they did this and then the next step was this and the next step you know the evolution of this i don't know if that's true or not um, but if you look back at their product design you can see what they've done over the years but i also see too i mean this is just what uh, my thoughts and what i look at what you know everybody's doing and i'm again i i I got to say this cause I don't ever want anybody thinking I'm bashing one way or the other. Cause I appreciate what Matthews has done for archery over the years. They've been such a huge player in, you know, tournament archery and everything. They've kept it going. Matt is a, a wonderful uh, individual human being, that sort of thing. But a lot of these bows that we're seeing right now, it's, it's really the same same model, just redesigned. Yeah. Um, not much new stuff that they're coming out with. Uh, so again I go back to you know waiting on the new bows to come out every year and I'm just super excited to see what someone's thinking about and what are these companies thinking where are they going and uh, that's something that we we have a good team of up there elite and um, you know you I hope I know I can see it and I'm pretty sure you see it um, because you've experienced it with with the bows but if you haven't shot an elite or Mess with one recently, and when it comes to tuning and adjustments and that that kind of stuff, uh, you've really missed out on a lot of technology that's changed or features, I'll say, and maybe not even just technology, as it is a new feature.
0: Yeah, advancements. You know, I'd say in the last three years, you know, these two things we've been talking about are monster changes. The set technology is a monster change, and now. This micro adjustable let off, I'd say that's a monster change too. I mean, this is really being able to dial in exactly what you want super easy. Again, no bow press, a couple Allen wrenches, and you get you get a level of adjustment that you really can't have in any other bow, regardless of how much it costs, regardless of, you know, how new it is. These are these are really big brand new thing so let's let's talk about these two flagship bows so we've just talked on the verdict a little bit i want to talk about more about it the verdict just came out as of the time of this recording came out a couple weeks ago at the last asa super interesting looking bow the prior evolution was the results right so now we're into the verdict
1: yeah so um Interesting thing is, I have to tie the. And you said, let's talk about the two two new bows. Uh, I have to tie the Envision into the verdict because mm-hmm. they're they're so similar. Um, when we when we come out with the Envision, the idea was let's get shorter limbs, let's get wider limbs, let's go longer, straighter mm-hmm. riser because it creates a, a much more stable uh, and, and a and a better feeling bow, so when we did that with the envision I, i'll just tell you that uh, and i've told numerous people i actually went to the alabama um uh, tournament in uh, the asa tournament in uh, march this year with my envision set up 31 inch axle to axle my envision set up to shoot the tournament with because i was shooting it so good um and i actually didn't wind up using it because i'd done a foolish thing and the way i had my peep side in long story short my peep moved and i didn't have time because i was working in the trailer and you know our our booth at the event and i didn't have time to get everything set back up to be confident in it so i just shot my result um but i had it there to shoot the tournament because i was shooting it so well mm-hmm. that i had so much confidence in that bow and i mean i i, I mean it to me right now it's the best shoot, it's the best shooting hunting bow i have ever had my hands on i mean it's got target accuracy in this bow and so that's why i have to talk about the envision before i talk about the verdict because we have the same limb angle the same uh limb design the same limbs the same pocket the same set technology all of that is the same on the verdict as it is on the envision we just have a longer riser. So basically, if you can just do a click and drag on a computer screen of, of you know, what a verdict is uh, to an Envision, that's pretty much the, the difference there. Now, obviously, they have their challenges with that much bigger of a riser. Uh, you have to figure out where the, where the load balance is going to be. You have to figure out, you know, there's several things that go into that. It's not just as easy as. You click and drag, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but uh, um, but you know those were the things that had to be overcome. Well, we had the verdict done in, uh, in last year. We we could have come out with that verdict last year um, when we came out with the Envision, but Josh wasn't just really happy with what he was seeing in the in the performance and the cam design uh, of you know for a long. time target boat like that with the same cam system that was on the result and everything. He just kind of, he wanted to do something more with it. And I'm super, super happy that he delayed it mm-hmm. because, um, what we have with the verdict is a result of a year and a half, basically of thinking, spending time to get it right, getting the, uh, getting the right cam design, this new, uh, the SPX cam system um, and getting it right, getting the module design right, and then spending the exact amount of time they needed to to get the uh, let off, the micro-adjustment let off system working in this cam system. Uh, so we're getting more, more performance, more, more efficiency out of this cam system, uh, more energy out of this cam system than any of the cam systems we've done before. Uh, so that's the, the one thing I do love about what Josh does is he sees where he's at, he evaluates where he's at, and then he always tries to push to the next level. You know, where, where can we go from here? It's never a, I'm just going to throw this together because this is easy. This cam system works. Let's just do this. And, sure. and I mean, obviously, you, you, you would think that all of these manufacturers uh, have that mentality, and to a large degree, a lot of them do. Um, but I've also worked for some of these companies in the past, too, that, you know, they have this cam design. And they said, well, this is what we did on our, this is how we, uh, this is the cam design we have. So let's let's just put this cam design on a longer bow and we'll call it a target bow. Right. I've seen that happen so much you know, over the years. And it's always been a, just a real pet peeve of mine because even though that works a lot of times because it's not like those are bad systems or whatever it's it's the desire and the drive to say we're building the best possible product we can build for this application and that's that's where I've always that's where my mindset has always been is how do I build the very best bow that I can build um, regardless of cost regardless of uh, uh you know whatever that may be i want it to i want to know that i'm walking out there on the competitive line with the best bow that i can possibly have yeah and i've not always seen that in the past from uh, people i've worked with uh but But Josh definitely has that and he wants to build the best, best bow he can possibly build him and his team of engineers. They, they think that way and I, that's super appreciated and you, you see it in the product.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about some of these interesting, I mean, it's frankly is an evolution of, of where the elite bows are going. So for example, like you were talking about the envision and the verdict are extremely similar when you look at the design, they are shaped size-wise just different so the Envision is a 31 inch axle to axle bow and the verdict is a 37 and three quarter basically a 38 but the interesting thing in the evolution I'm seeing of the risers from these elites is like you were talking about this riser itself is much longer which is resulting in a flatter limb trajectory it looks like which traditionally is going to leave you know a little more dead in the hand feel sort of the more hunting-esque esque thing, but it sounds like it's also resulting in a lot easier hold and an overall better feel. Is that right?
1: Yeah. It, it creates a really stable platform. And so uh, with stability, uh, comes the ability to aim and with the ability to aim obviously results in better accuracy. And so, you know, I've never heard someone say that they have a tack driving shooting bow that just aims horribly. Um, <laughs> I've heard people say that it doesn't aim that well, uh, but it seems to shoot better than it aims. That's obviously a really good thing. If a bow shoots better than it aims, that's a really good thing. Um, but that being said, I don't typically ever hear somebody say, man, this bow aims amazing, but it won't hit the broad side of a barn. Right. Um, so, so when you build in the ability uh, to maximize Uh, the aiming platform. And and that's basically what has happened with this bow is, is we've tried to maximize what we know about how, uh, geometry and bow design. We've tried to maximize that, uh, aiming experience and, and put it in a, in a target bow because I noticed personally that the envision aims amazing for a little short bow. I was just blown away how good the Envision aimed. And, and that, that same idea is put into a longer platform uh, that it just creates more stability. And so, uh, you know, when you go with a shorter limb, that allows you to have less reflex in your handle. So a straighter handle is typically a better aiming system because the more reflex you put in a, in a cam system, the more weight is distributed in front of your hand. And it seems like that creates a torque issue. So the, if you'll notice, you don't see any recurve bows designed that, that are recurve in nature in their riser design. They're always deflex Mm -hmm. instead of reflex. So, um, and and that goes a long way with a, with a recurve shooter because of the way they're shooting and what they have to do. And I mean, it's a different animal than, than a compound bow, but a lot of the same, uh, a lot of the same geometry applies. Uh, A lot of the same aiming issues apply. So, so that's why, uh, you know, you want to build a, uh, you know, I think the better aiming bows are going to be a straighter riser design, even deflex riser design. Um, the problem is, is when you get into riser design, you have to straighten up your limbs. So when you, when you make a a straighter limb or, and when I say straighter, let me, I'm not saying that the right way. It's not as flat. Yeah. You have to, uh, you have to tip it up. So your limb angle gets a lot steeper Mm -hmm. instead of flat. And then when it gets steeper, then the bow takes on a different feel. It's more abrasive and more uh, jumpy in your hand because instead of moving up and down, now it's moving uh, forward and back. And that's what creates that. You know, the older bows we used to shoot years ago, those limbs were really curved. And when it would shoot, I mean, it's just, it has so much vibration in it and kick. You had to really hold on to the bow. You drop the bow. Right. When both bows, bows today aren't like that, you can shoot them dead, relaxed hand, and they still don't come out of your hand for the most part when you shoot because they're so dead in hand. That 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 name that that phrase dead in hand is because of the limb design ultimately. I mean, cam design has a big part in that, but ultimately it's the limb design and the limb angle. And so um, the verdict and the envision both have the same. Same kind of design to them as far as that goes, so they're both very dead in hand. And you know, this sounds crazy, but uh, I had a guy tell me yesterday he thinks the verdict is more dead in hand than his hunting bow, his <laughs> Envision. Yeah. And it, 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 honestly, that doesn't it doesn't surprise me because they're very they're almost identical in their design, with the exception of the long riser. Well, the longer that riser is, the more weight that's in that riser. That gives vibration uh, more places to go. So, sure, th- that's why you don't feel it in your hand as much because the vibration that's there actually goes into the riser, and the riser is so big you just don't feel much of it. Uh, so, and and it's a little heavier, um, you know, overall, obviously because it's a uh, it's got more metal more right. aluminum there. <laughs> right. so well, and Just uh, a
0: slightly bigger brace height, but yeah, other than that, the specs are really close on them. Yeah, yeah. Very, very similar. So what has, it, the backstory of the verdict is basically it was the next revolution or evolution of the result, but uh, the, the powers that be that at uh, Elite decided, hey, let's, let's put a little bit more thought and time into, uh, the cams, which is this all new cam system for it. And then this, this new off system, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. It's, it's building off the platform that you know is successful in the envision. And, uh, it, obviously the, you know, the riser being so much longer than a result riser, um, you know, it, it takes more, um, takes more, uh, and just in general it just takes more money uh, because you know you, you that's a that's a big piece of aluminum you're buying <laughs> so um, you know with all of that being said I mean you look at the cost of target bows and what they are and and honestly i'm I'm blown away that our costs are still reasonable compared to some of the other bow prices that are out there in target bows I mean that bow is 1699 99 mm-hmm. Um, and you look at some of the other target bows that are out there, they are nineteen ninety nine. I mean, it's just, they're really, really expensive. Um, but, um, but I mean, with this bow, you, you get, tr- you get tremendous amount of, of, of features, uh, tremendous features in the bow. Uh, so much is going on there, uh, for, for what you're, what you're paying for.
0: Yeah can you talk a little bit we we were talking about the performance mods for the older cam systems but i'm noticing for this new spx cam system there's also mods how does that interplay with this new adjustable off system or is it basically the same thing and you just have more adjustability
1: yeah it's really it's the same thing um i think the draw draw force curves for each of these um each of these modules are basically the same as what we offered as far as draw force curves on the ACM Tri-Track cam. Um, and then you just have the, the range of adjustability uh, that's micro-adjustable instead of you know, a preset or predetermined setting uh, like you had in the, in the VersaMod on the ACM cam. Uh, so it's very, very similar. Now, I mean, as far as the cam design itself, um, if you'll notice, the ASIM TriTrack cam, the name ASIM means stands for asymmetrical. See. So the top cam is actually a little bit bigger than the bottom cam, and they're not they're not identical in the string base. So on this cam design, obviously um, it's a binary type system, three track. And what I mean by that, for those that don't understand that, is there's three tracks that either the string or the cable actually um, fit in. So you've got two cables, each has their own track, and the string has a track, but it's a balanced cam system to where you have, uh, if if you're looking at your cam, your string track is the middle track, and then you have a cable on the left side and cable on the right side. And so that balances out the load system uh, on top and bottom and your string is in the middle between those two. So when you draw the, when you draw the bow back, you don't get a change in the, in the lean or a change of the balance of where the, where the uh, load is actually going. So in a two track cam system, which is a string track and then both cables actually work in the same track. uh, When you draw the bow back, your 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 load balance goes from basically if you have so if you have ninety percent let off, understand what that means is that you're taking almost all of the pressure that's on the, the total cam system and it's almost all going to the cables. Mm-hmm. Because when you get a full draw at ninety percent you have very little pressure on your actual shooting string. So all of that load balance is going to the cables. So if, if you do that on a two-track system where the cables are on the right side of the cam, uh, when you draw the bow back, all of that load is going that direction. That's what makes those cams look like they're leaning really hard at full draw. They actually are because all of that load transferred to the right side. So this cam system is like our ACM tri-track cam in the In the aspect of it's balanced, you have a cable on each side of the string, so when you draw it back, it doesn't change the lean of the cam. So it's very balanced. But the difference is in this new SBX is they're actually symmetrical cams, both top and bottom. So the actual string track is the same on top and bottom, whereas on the ACM they were actually different. Uh, so, So I guess the question is, what does that do? Well, that creates a balance on top and bottom uh, for your dynamic reaction on how the, how the bow works when it's cycling. And so also what that does, it really makes it easy for cam design too, because your top and bottom cams are basically the same. You can just flip top and bottom if it's right hand or left hand. Mm -hmm. So, um, for production purposes, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And that's, you know, that's something that, you know, you have to keep in mind when you're building and designing bows too, is, Let's make production as simplistic as possible.
0: I was going to mention the engineers must really love this micro adjustable let off because historically I'd say if a shooter that knows what they're doing wants to just tweak a let off and, you know, adjust it less than moving a module position or a let off position, you know, they typically twist up cables or a string or whatever, but most engineers would say they don't want you to do that. They want you to keep it the way they intended it. And so they have to love, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't need to touch your strings and cables and adjust them that way. The adjustments and the cams and the mods now.
1: Yeah. Um, I think anytime, any, anytime anything is adjusted on a bow, uh, a lot of the engineers get edgy <laughs> because uh because they they get nervous and know oh you know, we've you know we've designed it for this we've tested it like this we don't know how it's going to do differently and a prime example of that um is so the result was designed with a uh, a cable system or a, a cable slide system mm-hmm. Uh, And then when we came out with the result 36, uh, Josh wanted to keep the continuity uh, between the two bows and leave that same design on the result instead of putting a roller system on it. Well, if if you know anything about those bows, you'll see that 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 design uh, for that cable slide system, the way it attaches to the bow it's the same exact footprint as our roller guard system. So you can literally put a roller system on the bow and it mounts up just absolutely perfect. And some of the shooters have actually done that. But what makes him nervous, though, because he hasn't tested it. You know, it hasn't went through the rigorous engineering testing to see what, what, uh, you know, how that affects the bow. And so, um, you know, some of the pro staff guys are like, hey, Josh, can we do this? He's like well we don't offer it that way and then you're going to get people that are going to want to buy it that way when they see you shooting it that way right um and so that's that that makes them nervous about those things that being said that they also understand that uh, you know they give a lot of leeway to some of their professional shooters to be able to try and experiment with things uh for the simple fact that that's where we learn yeah you know sometimes you you have to you have to give these guys leeway and then, you know, they start figuring something out and, you know, they in turn bring that back. And then that's where new product and development comes from. So, um, so, so sometimes we have that going on too, and, but yeah, you're right. Anytime something has changed
0: there, uh, those engineers, they, <laughs> they get a little squirmy. <laughs> well, you, you brought up an interesting, also, uh, another option and another thing that's interesting about this verdict that I didn't notice until I started looking at it which is just what you're talking about so I would say typically when you see a roller guard system versus the slide guard system that roller guards usually fixed and you really have no adjustment in it it's just there and that's what you get and you don't get to mess with your with your cable guard positioning but this one is like you were talking about it's an adjustable roller guard so how it attaches and affixes to the riser you can move that left and right still now right
1: yeah, absolutely. Our L T R system, which stands for linear tuning <clears throat> excuse me, that little things come back. <laughs> the linear linear tuning uh, roller system. So basically what that does is it just gives you the ability to adjust um, where those rollers are set at. And if you're using a, a larger blazer type vein for hunting, obviously you're gonna want more uh, clearance if you're shooting a little low profile, small field. Um, arrow that you would use for target shooting well then you don't need as much uh, clearance so you're going to want less and the nice thing about that is is you know anytime you can put less load on that you're going to have less rotational uh torque in the bow. so you know you want as little as you can but you also want the ability to adjust that and so Uh, the preset predetermined this is our pressure this is where it's at this is where this is designed at kind of mentality and thinking is I get where they're coming from but you again what I was talking about earlier if you design a bow at 40 pound peak weight and then you also offer that same bow at 80 pound peak weight there is nowhere close to the same tension and uh, rotational uh, torque on that riser at forty, as there is at seventy and eighty. So, um, to not have the ability to adjust that, honestly, really, in my opinion, it limits what you're allowing the shooter to do. So, going back to that ability to customize and fit uh, an actual shooter, uh, you, I think, you have to design that into the into the into the product.
0: Sure. Yeah. It's crazy. One of the other last things I kind of want to talk about was when I was looking at the Envision, the the flagship hunting one, it's a little short axle to axle for me. But then I started looking at when, you know, when you're actually looking at it and what ATA means to me and what's important to it for me is the string angle. That's (laughs) all that I care about is a string angle. And so it was interesting that Elite is pointing out the fact that the cams have a pretty decent size to them. So when you're actually at full draw, which is where the string angle comes into play, it's not as bad as you think it wouldn't be as sharp as you would think. It's actually a pretty decent string angle. Is that right? Yeah. So <clears throat> something that, uh, I-, I wish that the archery
1: trade uh, association would actually do. And it would probably just take a manufacturer standing up and being the first ones to do it. And I, you know, my years, and my tenure at PSE, I tried to get them to do it. Um, but they didn't want to and so far I don't know that Elite wants to do it either but if, <laughs> I, I think it would be a valuable thing is if instead of measuring axle to axle we actually gave tip to tip length on yes. these bows Yes, and then not, not only tip to tip length but I would actually like to have these bows measured the string angle actually measured at full draw yep. at each draw length yep. and, the, and the reason for that would be this so Levi Morgan, who is an unbelievable shooter, um, many years ago when I was building strings, he had shot a local tournament there in his home state of North Carolina, and he was shooting a Matthews Apex, which was a 42-inch axle -axle bow, um, got a little tiny roller on the top uh, wheel, and then it's got a cam system on the bottom. It was a single cam. But this bow has an 8-inch brace height, but Levi's a 31, half inch drawing. He's a big guy. So this guy called me up and wanted to get a set of strings and cables made for an Apex. And he said, man, I shot with Levi this past weekend. It was amazing watching him shoot. He said, that Apex is the best shooting bow he's ever ever had. He said, I, I, I ordered one on Monday morning. He said, now I'm getting the strings for it. And I said, well, what's your drawing? 27.5. half. <laughs> okay. 27-and-a-half-inch draw length on an apex at full draw has a ridiculously um, flat string angle. Yeah. It's going to be all up in his face because of his short draw length. Where Levi's 31-and-a-half, he's drawn that thing another uh, four inches, and the angle is tremendously different for him. So what I, I would have loved to been able to do, and I explained that to him, but he didn't care at that point, Uh, He'd already ordered the bow, but uh, he would have probably been better off going with the Matthews Apex 7, which is a shorter brace height, shorter axle-axle, and it would have probably had the same string angle or really close to the string angle uh, that that Levi has. So what I thought would be a really interesting thing to do, if you had all those string string angles measured at full draw at each draw length, you would be able to look and see, okay, Levi actually has a 82-degree string angle. What bow in this lineup would I have at my draw length that would have an 82-degree string angle? Yep. And so that would be a much better way of measuring that. Now, whether we actually get these companies on board to uh, to go along with that measurement system, I doubt we ever will because it's probably hard to to market. You know, I mean, that's a... A, a difficult thing. Where axle axle has been a standard um, measuring system that these companies have had for a long, long time. Yeah. But you know, it just takes one to be different and to set that example, and um, you know, and if it takes off, then the others will follow.
0: Yeah, I think it would be helpful for a couple things. Like we were talking about, these bows have evolved quite a bit since they probably created the axle to axle measurement and. I've certainly noticed between a target bow that, you know, has the more upright limbs traditionally and the the brand new, you know, there's past parallel limbs. Now. Often I've seen a bow where when you're at full draw and you're looking at what that measurement is from the end of the string to the end of the string, it's sometimes now below the limb, you know? So it's actually yeah. maybe even below the ATA versus a different bow. That's just designed differently is going to have a much greater range. And where I, personally find it very helpful and would love that measurement is let's say I want a target bow and I want a hunting bow, two different bows, but I want them as close as I can, you know, to fit me the same so that whether I'm hunting or I'm competing, you get the same feel and the same string angle and all that good stuff. Well, then I can have the measurement and I could find out, you know, the envision in this draw length that matches my target bow for this draw length. And then I can yeah. be confident that they'll both shoot the same and feel the same for me. That'd be great.
1: Yeah. And and also from a shooting standpoint, do I mean you realize over the years of collective data that of uh, you know someone has in their um, you know in their tenure as a shooter, basically they could be able to say you know I've had my most success with yeah. bows with this string angle right here in this in this area you know and so that would really help. Just like you said, I mean you like that longer a little bit longer axle axle than typical hunting. Um, bows um, for the eastern part of the United States because, you know, most of the eastern and Midwest are tree stand hunters and then western guys are spot and stop pretty much, you know. So uh, just the, the difference in the game and what you're hunting and that sort of stuff. And, and the, in the distance of shot, I mean, you go to Louisiana, it's so funny. In my territory, you know, we also uh, manufacture and sell CVE. So in Louisiana, I don't hardly ever sell a five pin sight (laughs) i don't sell many three pin sights Mm -hmm. but i sell a pile of single pin sights well you know why have you ever hunted in louisiana it's thick as can be you don't shoot very far um it's it's swampy it's nasty it's you know it just depends on where you're at but it's thick and uh in missouri i sell a whole lot of five pin sights Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, right on the edge of a bean field and cornfield, you know, you can shoot a long way. Mm-hmm. So it's just a totally different uh, demographic, and so I mean, you you wind up with, you know, all these different uh, features that are needed in one area versus another. That's why we sell a lot of really short bows in the south. Where out west, you sell a whole lot longer bows, mm-hmm. uh, a whole lot more longer ones. So it, it's just the just the difference in the style and what you know people are trying to accomplish
0: yeah i love it well this has been amazing i've certainly found out a lot i love going over the features of the elites because like we talked about there's plenty of manufacturers that are making minor tweaks but you know we're talking about these huge steps forward in technology with some of the elite stuff this the set technology i think is a huge step that nobody's even thinking about messing with. Every other pocket system is static, but this is moving it in a great way. These roller guards that you can move and then this micro adjustability for, for let off is, is something great. So everybody is doing a good job there. And then of course the handle, that's actually my favorite part of the elites. <laughs> I just love that handle, man.
1: Yeah. You know, so, so one thing, uh, you know, that I have to answer, um, to the critics, of set is it's too much adjustability. It's too much moving. I want it simple, where it's just locked in. Mm. Okay, so I hear that. Um, really? I'm I'm also that I'm also that guy as well. I like things simple. So one of the things I wanted to make sure of when I shot these foes and when I set this system up was how stable is the system. So I have a there is a lockdown screw on set. So I took the lockdown completely out. I shot three consecutive Vegas rounds and it never moved. I mean, the point, I mean, it's still hitting, still hitting X's with no set screw in it and it never moved in 90 shots. So I, I know how stable it is. I know how solid it is. I know it's not going to move. And, and that's one of those things. It, it's not going to move unless you want it to move. Uh, so those are one of the things that, you know, uh, that I have to, uh, You know, when somebody's uh, a critic of the system, too many screws, too much adjustability. I want it simple, and I think, well, you really obviously don't understand how difficult some of this stuff is to actually get to the point of perfection for every shooter that's out there, Um, and that's what we're trying to do is fit a really broad spectrum of people um, and, and make it tunable and then actually make it really shop friendly. I mean, that's what I was telling you about up there in Kansas City, getting set up in 40 minutes. I mean, my goodness, that's uh, shop owners should love that because I hear all the time all right, it takes me a couple hours to get one really
0: dialed in from top to bottom. I mean, you cut your time in half with these bows for sure. So. Mm-hmm. You can. And yeah, you know, keeping it simple is, is certainly nice, but I would think. Most archers are in the business of trying to be as accurate as possible, as lethal as possible. That's kind of why we get into archery, particularly target archery. So you got to have the adjustment. You know, when you look at a sports car, do you see sports cars that don't have any adjustment to them and you just have to run what you're brung? Not so much. You want to get a lot of adjustability because you need the performance and you need, like we are talking about with tuning a broadhead. I mean, if if you're happy with not knowing where your broadhead's going to hit, then Maybe this isn't the sport for you, but if you want that broadhead and you know exactly where it's going to hit behind your pin, you got to be able to adjust your bow to you. Because like we also talked about, everybody's going to be different how they, ha- hand, you know, between your hand torque and everything else and the arrow setup, it's all different. And it all changes, you know, from a shooter, the same shooter shooting just two different arrow setups, you're going to have to adjust that bow. It, you know, you got to be able to adjust it, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, 100% agree. You, know, you just—that's the nature of what we're dealing with right now. Is um, obviously let's put target archery, let's put a target mind into a hunting, and make it work. Um, and then because I always have heard—I'm um, trying to remember who I heard this from the first time—and it, it was—I think it was Dean Pridgen. And I don't know if you know Dean or not, but Dean is a uh, a long-time uh, NFAA professional shooter uh, probably has more titles than anybody I know of. He's he's in his upper eighties now, but uh, he still deer hunts and everything, but I'm pretty sure it was from him the first time I heard it. He said, What what target shooters do today, bow hunters do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a really, really good assessment of what archery typically the you know, the typical Structure of the way things work in archery is we figure out what works in target archery and then we take it to a hunting world and very few uh things uh supersede that and the whisker biscuit might be one of those um <laughs> target archers never did that um and will probably never do that but <laughs> um but it does work well for hunting
0: yeah i in, suppose in it... some places it it works it's it's a very simple system but uh yeah i get what you're saying well is there anything else you want to tell us about uh the elite bows i feel like we went over a good good portion of it
1: yeah i think we've uh, done a great job i I really appreciate all the questions uh you know one of these things is i uh you get me talking marty i I can go for hours when we talk about this (laughs) archery stuff and uh and just ramble on and uh, go from one subject to the next without having to have much push. Uh, but I really appreciate the, the questions and, uh, and, and obviously you understand the system pretty well and um, obviously you have experienced it because uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like it as much as you did if you hadn't experienced it. And that's, that's the biggest thing right now uh, that we have uh, set in front of us as a challenge, as far as a company goes is just getting people to try it uh, mm-hmm. because they have to first think that they need it before they'll try it. Yep. And, and then when they realize that they need it, then they'll go try it. But, uh, you know, that, that's just it. They gotta, they gotta go try them.
0: Yeah. This, my, my little experience was I was at the Vegas shoot this year, just had a little time to kill And I was like, you know, these, I do, I've always loved the handle on the elite. So I was like, I'm going to go over to Christian Berry and I'm just going to, I'm just going to shoot one of these for fun and just see what I think, you know, take literally your guys shootability challenge. And I shot one with them and I was like, man, I do like this. And I started going, oh, great. Now I want to buy another bow. So then you start going down (laughs) that rabbit hole and and that's how it is. But that's exactly your point is if, if people can get out and at least try one, see what you think of it. and, uh, And then if you start getting deep into it and you start seeing some of the advantages for if you're like me and you want to be able to tune it really easy, really quick, but do it in a, in a pretty high end way. I'm not sure there's a lot of other options out there that can give you this kind of quick tunability that the elites can.
1: No, I would agree with you. Um, it's, it's a solid, well, when you say in a high end way, I mean, this is the, the, uh, technology we offer to our target shooters, which we don't, I don't really feel like there's any higher, higher um, tuning levels or anything that's out there than what we offer for target shooters. That same technology is in our hunting bows. Yep.
0: yep. They're great, man. Well, I truly appreciate your time. Thanks for getting up early with me and talking about uh, the elite offerings. Hopefully, everybody else will take the shootability challenge. At least go check them out see some of these cool advantages and and evolutions and technology that you guys have put into the bows because it's only going to continue to get better and better. So it's an exciting time. I think for you guys.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I think so too. I I really appreciate the the opportunity to come on here with you and uh, and discuss this stuff and, uh, yeah, get out to take the shootability challenge. You go to your local dealer. Um, if they don't carry elite, ask them why they don't carry elite. And then if they give you any answer other than, um, we just don't really want to sell them, then you know they're probably lying because there's no better tech- technology out there. Um, the dealers can, can do extremely well with our bows. And uh, yeah, challenge challenge the dealer to even take the shootability challenge. See, tell them to see what Elite's got in store um, because it's, it's nothing like uh, anyone else's bow. We're totally different. And um, when they start setting up our bows, they'll actually get tired of setting up the other ones because there's too much work involved.
0: Yeah. And I may just throw in there that, you know, frankly, there's the elite bows are quite a bit different right now with the current lineup than they were even three, maybe four years ago. And I wonder if there's, you know, some folks that maybe whatever that opinions about it or the company from several years ago that things have changed quite a bit, not just at elite, but with the bows in just the last couple of years. So it may be time to kind of give it another try. That's, that's literally the the sort of thought I had was I was thinking of old elite bows and I didn't, you know, I just was shooting a different bow. And all of a sudden I just said, you know, this does have something new. Maybe I'll go take a look at it. And it just opened my eyes and it is just a lot different than it used to be only a handful of years ago.
1: Yeah, and, you know, one thing I didn't add to this conversation was we've we've talked about flagship bows, which that's all Elite ever actually used to be was a high-end bow company. We didn't really have a value bow or we didn't have an introductory bow, and now the the whole company is just different. Um, You know, with our Ember, which is a super, super good bow, 15 to 29-inch draw length adjustability, 10 to 60 pounds, we got a basin that's uh, basically the big brother of the Ember that goes 16 to 30 inch draw from 20 to 70 pounds, super super adjustable. So that gets the kids, that gets the women, that gets the whole family mm-hmm. in elite. And then we've got mid-range price bro- price bows with the Terrain that's like a 6.99 bow that has adjustable uh, draw length from 25 and a half to 31 and a half. It's super lightweight, 3.9 pounds. It's an awesome hunting bow. And then, uh, then obviously our flagship bows uh, that we've been talking about, but we have a, the whole experience. So uh, we can, we can outfit the whole family now where, you know, Elite a few years ago was just a high end bow company. And, uh, you hit the nail on the head there, uh, because we're definitely not the same Elite that we were even three years ago. Uh, when we introduced, introduced the Ember, everything that was about, that was two years ago. And it, since then, it's been a, it's been an interesting change to the company. What we've seen,
0: yeah, I think it's great. Well, again, I really appreciate your time. And you know, your shooting resume proceeds itself. You're an amazing shooter as well. So, take it from the uh, you know the pros that shoot the bows. They know what they're talking about. And all that technology is now in your hunting bows and your target bows. So it's a good deal, man. Appreciate it.
1: Yes, sir.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it.